New Pod World Order. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Pop Culture Crunch called the Spotlight Episode, An Evening With. This week's guest was Greg Smallwood. Now, Greg Smallwood is the current artist on Marvel's Moon Knight, which is also written by Jeff Lemire. Greg spoke to us in detail about the approach and direction he takes with Moon Knight, and what artistic styles he's developed over the years to make Moon Knight pop out on the page and enjoyable for the readers. So without further ado, let's get to that interview. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Going well, going well. How can you, you? Can you see us? No, no, I'm just on my phone. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't have to worry about looking like this. <laughs> How's it going? It's going, yeah, yeah. Getting, uh, getting a little work done today. It's good. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, this is Jerry. Uh, this Nick. is Nick. Nick. Nick, all right. All right. Because <laughs> it kind of had a, has a little Matthew McConaughey sound to him. Maybe a little bit. Like, all right, guys, what's going on? All right, all right. Moon Knight is looking good. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Moon Knight, I just uh, picked up your issue yesterday, and boy, was that awesome. Right on, right on. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. yeah it's, Another uh, twist at the end. Yeah, yeah, that was... Uh, well, that was something I didn't really, I didn't know where he was, I didn't know where Jeff was going with it until I got the script for it, um, because he actually had something very different in mind when when uh, we first outlined it and when I first uh, agreed to do the book. So, yeah, I thought that was that was cool. I got to kind of experience it in, uh, in almost in the same way that a, that a the, uh, reader does. So, yeah. So you're, you get these, you get storyboards or, or scripts on a weekly basis or on a per issue basis is that how that works yeah uh you know every every situation is a little bit different um but with this one uh jeff is kind of a writing machine so he uh he had an outline and he had oh i don't know probably about the first five scripts done when i joined the project and so i could uh or actually, no, it was the first four. It was the first four, I think. And so I, I got to read those. I got to read the outline. And um, and so I had I had plenty of room to kind of plan ahead. You know, I, I knew what was going to be happening in the third issue. And that, that did affect a lot of my design work for the, you know, for the first issue and for the second issue. And um, that's unusual. Usually, yeah, you, usually you get them. Uh, Marvel, Marvel's editors will send you the um the script as soon as you're done with the you know the uh, previous issue so i'd get done with the second issue and i turn it in i upload the the files and then i would get you know the uh, the next script and then i would read it and i usually don't have an outline that to give me a sense of where it's all going um uh if the writer is uh 
you know, uh, communicative, then, you know, he might tell me, uh, you know, where, where the story's headed or where, you know, uh, what he pictures for it. But um, it just it depends on each, on each title. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, when you first read those scripts, what was your first reaction to that? Uh, well, I was, I was really excited to draw it. I mean, I think it's just as a, a comic book fan, um, I thought they were, I mean, I especially thought the first issue was, was just really, really strong. Um, you know, first issues are hard to pull off. They usually seem too introductory to, to really grab you. You know, you almost get, just get like a little taste and not really a, a good sense of, of where the story's headed. But this really gave, uh, gave me a good sense of, of the tone of, uh, where Jeff wanted to take the story and I had a good hook and so I was really especially um, excited to draw that first issue because I knew that would grab readers and just some of the yeah. you know some of the possibilities you know like the drawing new Egypt you know getting to combine New York and with ancient Egypt that just uh, provided I think a lot of um, uh, interesting visuals do you uh, speaking of the Egypt and uh, New York there, do you base like some of your uh, landscapes off of actual visual references or do you just kind of wing it by what you see in your head? It's um, mostly reference, yeah. I uh, I try to ground things in reality as much as possible, um, which means that I use a lot of photo reference. Uh, I think I think it can be become too much of a crutch for artists, and so I... I take a photo and then I try to build on top of that. And um, like if I use, like if I shoot a photo of myself um, to use as reference, I know that I can't just draw it the exact same way that it looks. I have to kind of exaggerate things. I have to build on top of it. But starting from the photo, it kind of gives me, um, I don't know, it's just a different look. Maybe, maybe there's something to. Um, just to kind of grounding it a little bit more in reality, and, and the same the same goes for backgrounds. So, for New Egypt, I, I, you know, I wanted to make sure that it looked like New York City, and so I, I tried to use actual New York landmarks. And my editors were very encouraging in that regard. It's actually the only note that I that I got on issue one was um, uh, my editor Nick Lowe wanted me to make sure that I put the Empire State Building in there, um, just oh, to make okay. sure you know that. It gives it a you know a strong location, a sense of location, and um, yeah, easily identifiable for all the readers. Right, right, yeah. So that way, yeah, the readers would know it's definitely New York City. Um, mm-hmm. They wouldn't have any doubts about that. So yeah. When it comes to um, the style that you take on, um, is that different for the um, writers that you work with? So like a difference between Jeff Lemire and Brian Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, I mean, do you have to adapt to their type of story that they're going to tell? Um, can you maybe tell us a little bit more about that process? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 think, um, I think you're definitely on to something. I think my style does uh, change and evolve a little bit. I, I usually take whatever I've, I've sort of used on, on previous, with previous writers, I kind of take with me, and then I build on top of that. Um, and so something that I did... Uh, while I was working with um, uh, Brian Wood was that I, I he, he had a lot packed on one panel but it was just glimpses of things and I thought well how can I and I knew what he was going for he had it um, I, I don't know why I just I guess 
maybe there's a, a little bit of a film um, uh, quality to it. And I, I knew what he wanted, so I created this like 16 panel page with tiny little square boxes for panels. And I did that, um, you know, just to kind of fit what you know Brian was trying to go for. And and I ended up really liking that, and I took it with me, and so I've done it, you know, a lot since. Um, and there were certain things that I did with Jeff that um, uh, Jeff has a, I don't know, he, he gets these, he writes these very strange, eerie scenes that seem very quiet to me. And if, if it were a film, it'd probably be like a Stanley Kubrick movie. And so I use a lot of one-point perspective shots, even more so than I normally do. Uh, but I use a lot with uh, with Jeff's work. And um, I don't know, I guess... Uh, maybe a little bit in tone, you know, like when I draw, when I draw Dream Thief, which is, uh, the, uh, creator own book that I do with, uh, Jai Nitz, who also was, uh, where I live here in Lawrence, Kansas. And, uh, Jai has a very frenetic, uh, pace theme to his scripts. They're very dialogue driven, very character driven. Uh, there aren't very many quiet scenes. And so my layouts are incredibly, um, chaotic and all over the place. I, you know, I, I hardly ever do like, you know, a simple four, you know, panel page where they're just like these four widescreen shots. Usually the panels are scattered all over the page and things are moving at a, at a fast pace. And so I guess in that sense, yeah, my storytelling style changes. My inking style, my penciling style, uh, that just kind of evolves. I mean, I, I didn't really mean for my style to kind of change, uh, you know, in between these Moon Knight uh, volumes, but it just kind of did. Um, the only thing I, I think I changed, uh, consciously was the, uh, was the dream sequence. I, the, you know, the, um, the weird, uh, sequences where Mark, uh, you don't know exactly what's going on. It seems like it's in Mark's head or it's a memory or something like that, or he's having a vision that, I, that was definitely inspired by Bill Sienkiewicz. And I was just sort of kind of aping his, his style a little bit. Cool. Um, out of the first story arc here, is there a favorite panel of yours that you were really like I can't wait to draw this or maybe even after you got everything done was there one panel that stood out to you going like hot damn that looks good <laughs> well you know the, uh, the, the my favorite panels are always weird ones that I don't think anybody would ever you know pick out on a page it's just like maybe I drew a hand just the right way or something like that but I know that for, for sure I was very much looking forward to drawing mummies um i like uh i like drawing zombies and dead things and i I don't know why it's kind of a weird morbid thing to like drawing but um but yeah i I was really looking forward to that also i I like um it's weird to have little things for artists uh i like drawing rubble because you can just do what you know whatever you want and so this is a book that very much suits me if i Especially drawing New Egypt or drawing Egyptian ruins, I uh, I get to just play around with texture a lot. And I just if I don't want to draw something, I just draw it destroyed, you know, and I don't have to worry about it. And uh, and so yeah, that that was something I was looking forward to drawing actually a lot it was just the uh, the uh, ancient ruins and stuff like that, and the space stuff, we get where the you know the other void or whatever um, whatever we call it. Uh, you know, I was looking forward to playing around with that. I think if I had a favorite panel, though, um, it's it's an issue. 
I think it's issue three. It might be the issue right before all the, the mummy action where it ends on the cliffhanger. We're in the subway and then they see the mummies coming out of the subway car. There's one panel yeah. where where a hand reaches out. Um, and so you just see the, the hand and the arm of the mummy and then, you know, in the subway car. And I think that's probably my, my favorite panel that I can think yeah. of. You know, I, I really liked, uh, I really liked the mummies and there's been, I think for me, Marvel has kind of pulled out some of my, or however they placed little drawings of yours without, within the uh, comic book. I really liked the cover of issue five with the Mark face revealing the moon knight mm-hmm. underneath. That was really cool. But the zombies, yes, your, your, your mummies were on point. I loved them. I was like, that I could get as a tattoo someday. <laughs> right a nice on. small wood mummy on the back or something. Um, I need to ask, um, so when you're talking about like Mark Spector's disillusionment, mm-hmm. you know, what are you using, what techniques are you using specifically um, to give the readers the best idea that hey, you know this this is a dream or hey this is, you know this mm. is real. Yeah. So, um, well, obviously with uh, with Sienkiewicz, the you know the the, the more dreamlike sequences, um, you know a lot of you know splatter effects, real scratchy line art that usually um, suggest to the reader that is his vision might be a little bit blurry or his memory might be a little bit unclear. Uh, that usually uh, kind of does the trick. I think as far as the overall book and the overall tone, I'm trying to, trying to make sure that the reader feels a little bit uh, on shaky ground um, where they're unsure of you know, whether or not what's happening is actually really happening or if it's in Mark's head. Um, I think it goes back to what I mentioned earlier, which was like the one point perspective shot and, for anybody unfamiliar with that, that would be like, um, it's Stanley Kubrick used it a lot in his films. And there's actually a video out there that, that talks about it, but it's where all of the, um, the perspective lines go to one point. It's usually in the center. And so if you were to, um, shoot or draw a scene, you would, you know, you'd place the camera, you know, basically in the center and then, you know, shoot straight down. And, and then the, the focus of the, you know, the subject, uh, is going to be right in the center as well. And that, I don't know why, that just usually just gives a, a sense of eeriness um, rather than, you know, putting the, the subject. So, like, instead of Mark on one side of the panel, he's just dead center in the panel. And and that really does, I think, create a, uh, a sense of almost dread, I think. And, and very subconsciously, I'm not even sure readers are aware of it, but it does put things in such kind of a weird skewed uh sort of uh, viewpoint so that's that's a trick that i always go back to if i want something to seem a little weird or i want you to feel like something's just slightly off i just usually put the subject right dead center of the panel you know and usually like a widescreen panel so yeah that's my go-to i also like some of the well with that one point now that you explained it a little bit more and just thinking back at some of the panels it it also works well with like how you limit the background in some of those scenes where mm-hmm. it's not like you're getting a full like wall of a subway you're getting just like a nice rounded effect on that mm-hmm. so yeah it, that does add to like you know that whole entire suspense mm-hmm. you know what's going yeah. on here feel with the book and i've got to hand it to you i mean the 
from what's been written, I mean, the artwork is complimenting it. I mean, I couldn't imagine anything else better for this book. At the simplicity of just like when he's in Moon Knight, how he is... There's just something maybe you could explain just of like how... Like some artists we get have a lot of a lot of line work in their mm-hmm. characters. I think Jim Lee has always been notorious of like having heavy mm-hmm. inks on his on his. But you, even like when we met you back on at Krypton Comics here, mm-hmm. like just your quick sketch of Moon Knight was just like I'm like that. That's how mm-hmm. it is in the comic book. I'm like yeah. And so so what what was your approach with just making? The character just kind of well, even all your characters mm-hmm. have a very simple feel to them. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, it is uh, it's it's sort of evolved over time. Um, I initially started drawing a little bit more uh, minimalistic as I came to a realization that I just didn't have enough time to render everything, and so before I broke into comics. That was just something that evolved over time, you know. Like this, I started uh, looking at a lot of Alex Toth, um, uh, Chris Somney, guys like that, you know, who use a minimal amount of, um, amount of line work to get the point across. And um, I became very attracted to that. Now, what I noticed after I after I broke into comics that people, uh, you know, with the exception of you know guys like Toth and Somney, people usually like line work and they like a lot of it. And, um, and people respond favorably to a lot of rendering. But I was still drawn to the simplistic stuff. And so what I found was to do sort of almost a compromise. In the same way that you would put a, a warm color with a cool color to create a contrast, I use a combination of highly rendered stuff and then very minimalistic stuff to create a contrast. And so you'll have a very stark uh, moon night you know, with very little line. Uh, put up against a very highly rendered background, and that usually makes Moon Knight pop that much more. Oh, I and I that. think that's why he stands out a little bit, is because he's more of that stark white, very minimal line work against that yeah highly highly detailed, highly rendered background. And so it's kind of yeah, just a, it's a contrast. Has done that. Yeah. So that's that's my that's kind of my thing. That's what I'm trying to go for is is more of a contrast in the same way that you contrast to you know complementary colors. Oh. Hope does that answer your question? Is that yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, I, I just wondered how like it just seemed like he was yeah, like he always popped on every mm-hmm. scene when he went in when he's Mark Spectre, he kinda just blends in with some mm-hmm. of the regular orderlies that are there and the patients. But then when he once he's in Moon Knight, even when he had the half made costume out of bed sheets, mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. still popped. Well, yeah. when, he's, when he's Stephen Grant, he blends in. Right, right, right. No, that's yeah. No, it's a good observation. I, I think, um, I think that's uh, that's something that you can do with Moon Knight. I, I, you know, it's the the character lends itself. I'm I'm very thankful for what for what Declan and Jordy did um, with the Warren Ellis's arc. Um, the, the sort of the visual motif that they they started, which was you know the the stark white. They didn't have any kind of rendering. Um, except for the the line art, they didn't have any kind of you know color like shading, like grays and stuff like that with Moon Knight's outfit. And I really took to that. I on Dream Thief, which is my first book, I I drew um, 
just these bold white gutters without any kind of panel borders. And I, and I like that because I, I like all that white on the page. It kind of broke up the, the panels a little bit more. And so um, getting a chance to draw Moon Knight and, and combine those, you know, these big bold white gutters with, you know, that stark white costume, you know, really kind of grabbed me. And, I, and of course, when I did the, the covers for this arc with Jeff, um, that was a, uh, that was something that I really stuck to is I, I wanted to, to kind of take what Declan and Jordy did and, and just kind of keep running with it. And of course I, you know, Jordy gets the, you know, Jordy's coloring my work. So I get to have, have her colors on there too, where she can really kind of help make things pop too, as well, you know, using, uh, you know, the darker colors in contrast with that stark white. But I really wanted to, uh, create a strong visual motif in the same sense that, you know, like if you have daredevil, you think of you think of certain things visually you think of red you think of um you even think of um you know the, the scales of justice you think of um you know rain or gargoyles and it's got a lot of strong visuals that you automatically sort of uh you know that automatically sort of pop in your head with the character and the same for a lot of other characters and i wanted moon knight to be that same thing where you think of moon knight you might think of just this like, big bold stark white and and hopefully you know other things that start to you know pop in your head but since i could you know i could do this from a visual perspective um you know that was that was sort of my goal was to create a strong uh visual motif for the for the character nice yeah i, I was uh browsing your tumblr account uh, yeah <laughs> uh trying to get uh, ready for you mm-hmm. and um I noticed that there was that article about uh, censorship in the, in the comics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that was really interesting. I, basically, can you tell me how that post came about? Yeah, like, yeah. I, well, that? I think what, what really inspired me um, was I'd read an article or, uh, you know, I'd followed some link to uh, some website. I, I don't know if it was, I think it was Graphic Policy, if I remember correctly, but... They were calling for a, a boycott of, of uh, Airboy, the image comic, by okay. um, by uh, uh, Robinson and uh, Greg Kinkle, and um, and I and they you know, they wanted they were trying to pressure retailers into pulling the comic off the stands, and uh, they were talking about how transphobic it was, and even though the creators both came out and said, well, it's not really their intention, you know. Uh, uh, these people just would not let up, and and it, I feel like it, there had just been a string of incidences like that where, you know, somebody didn't like something, and so then they were trying to put Chris, you know, pressure on the creators to to not put it out there, you know, not not even just like, well, I don't want to buy it. I'm I'm not really a, a fan of boycotts either for just the same reason, that, you know, I if you don't like something, don't buy it, don't organize a boycott because it usually all that does is lead to censorship eventually it's not you know it's not i don't know if i would call boycott censorship but it you know it it just it's going down a road i'm I'm not really comfortable with but um i couldn't agree more reading it oh well thank you all i'm 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 glad to hear it it was actually you know it meant it's funny it met with a lot of positive um reception among creators with the exception of a few there you know some some weren't too happy about it uh fan response was pretty good on it I did get some people yelling at me on Twitter. I was on Twitter at the time. And, um, a lot of people wanted to. Uh, it was it was a really weird experience because 
I used, you know, I actually used the, the Wikipedia definition of censorship. I went to the ACLU website and got their definition of censorship. And I just, you know, just copied and pasted it, you know, into my essay. And I had a lot of people who, who wanted to take issue with my definition of censorship. Like, well, you just you define censorship, you know, incorrectly. I don't like it. And I'm like, well, that's, that's the ACLU's definition of censorship, not mine. Um, but I think a lot of people don't understand censorship. They, they usually in their heads, they think, well, the government has to be involved. And if the government's not involved, it's not censorship because it's not that threatening, you know, but it, you know, it, it can be, I think, you know, yeah, it's not life or death. It's not, you know, censorship, um, you know, doesn't, isn't necessarily evil, but I think that if you want to, um, you know, if you want to have a, a super creative environment for, for artists and writers, you know, um, the thing not to do is to, you know, is to uh, sit there and, and berate them for choices that they've made. You know, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of books out there that I find very offensive, uh, even in comics. And, uh, but I don't, you know, I, I don't, it's not my job to get on the, the creators and, and yell and scream at them um, online. I just don't buy it, you know, and I don't tell other people that I'm not buying it. I just don't buy it. You know, I don't even see the, the point in, in, spending my time uh you know you know promoting their book basically by you know uh, speaking negatively about it but yeah that was that was my first <laughs> and uh, last attempt at uh trying to uh change the comic book industry i realized that i think people have their have their minds made up and um you know i think i think uh i think a lot of the damage has, has been done uh, already unfortunately but you know i think uh I think all in all, though, I think creators still have a little bit of freedom to, uh, to do stuff, just not as much as I think would be uh, would be nice. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that's probably a big issue with a lot of the uh, writers and artists uh, in the industry. Is there? Can you give us an example of one in particular that people were all up in arms about, like a particular comic book? that people are all up in arms about. I know you mentioned a name, but I can't remember the name that you mentioned. And I Oh, Airboy? Yeah, with uh so no, but the mm. the artist though. Oh the artist uh well it was the uh, the book was James Robinson and, and Greg Hinkle were, were the creators. Um, oh okay. Um okay. but yeah I mean there there've been a I you know I wasn't thrilled with the uh the reception to the the Batgirl cover um that Raphael Albuquerque did and then was you know, I know he pulled it, you know, of his own, I mean, he basically, he, you know, he self-censored and, you know, and I've done that myself too. I mean, I, you know, it's, you know, we all kind of self-censor sometimes if we think something's going to be met with scorn or vitriol, we, we, we go ahead and we peel it back a little bit, you know, cause we want the, we want our work to be, you know, uh, uh, enjoyed and not, uh, scorned. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean that, but you know, I, I'd rather, if, if creators are going to self-censor, I'd rather they do that on their own without the feeling of all this, this huge pressure, you know, people screaming at them on the, on, on the internet. And Raphael, you know, Raphael Albuquerque had to probably be called all kinds of names before he eventually said, oh, well, I, you know, I, I told DC that I, I want to pull this cover. And, uh, and there probably, I, you know, there were other instances, um, you know, personally, which I, I won't go into because I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But, you know, I've, 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 I've dealt with situations where I've been told, hey, um, you know, this is not basically, this is not politically correct. We don't want to put this in the book. 
um, and uh, you know, and I've just been you know told not to you know not to, to do something, or the writer I'm working with has been told not to do something out of fear of what basically the mob online is going to respond with. And I think a lot of other creators have probably dealt with it too. I've spoken to creators about that sort of thing. So I've dealt with it personally. I know creators that dealt with it personally, where they've had to deal with you know the fear of uh, of what you know the on, you know the, the online comic book community will will say about the book if it comes out. So kind of kind of messed up, but is that the way it is? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, on a lighter note. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, when you can you tell us maybe a little bit about how you started as an artist? Mm-hmm. Maybe I mean, for be viable for our listeners to get in on or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to. Um, so I broke in around I don't know maybe. Two, well, so if I started you, the very beginning. I started start, the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. Let me start at the beginning. Okay, Sorry. so yeah. I, no, I mean, Greg as a small. Lad. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just that's actually very simple. It was just I started drawing at a at, you know an early age. My mom's got drawings that she saved to me when I was you know three or four years old and. And I, you know, I look back and I'm like, oh, well, I could tell that, you know, you could tell that I had this, this raw talent. Um, and I just kept drawing. I just didn't stop. And, you know, from, from an early age, as soon as I knew that, you know, you had to have a job when you grew up, I was telling people, oh, well, I'm going to do comics. And, uh, and, uh, I kept, I kept telling people that even though I hadn't broken in, you know, I was in my twenties and then I, uh, I was getting pretty close to, to 30 and I, I hadn't really worked super hard at it. I, you know, I took a portfolio to conventions a couple of times. I went to uh, Wizard World Chicago uh, after I graduated high school, which was uh, 2000. I went, my dad took me to, to Wizard World, and I showed my portfolio around. And, and of course, that I've I've never had a any shortage of of uh, confidence in my art. So at that time, I thought, oh well, they're going to give me a job. I'm going to show my portfolio to Marvel, and they're going to hire me. You know. Maybe I'll start on an annual, and then they'll give me an ongoing, you know. And I, <laughs> and I, I, I sound like I'm joking, but I actually did think that when I was, you know, 18 years old. But um, <laughs> I uh, obviously I did not get a job then, right then and there. And uh, I, uh, I was a little disheartened. I thought, well, they just can't see my genius. But um, I think over the next, probably about the next five or eight years, I started realizing slowly that. Um, I hadn't really. I didn't have any discipline. I wasn't really working hard enough at it. Um, I wasn't really trying hard enough, and um, and I didn't have uh, the necessary work ethic to even work in comics. And so I really worked hard for about a year trying to develop that discipline and that work ethic. So I drew when I didn't feel like drawing. I drew what I didn't feel like drawing. Um, so I would take scripts that uh, that uh, I thought would challenge me, and I, and I drew those. And eventually I got to the point where I was, um, I also learned how to, to ink and color and letter too. And that was a big part of it. I, I, I thought that maybe some of the, sort of the less than enthusiastic response to my work might be due to the fact that it's just penciled pages. And I noticed that when I showed somebody a fully finished piece, the reception was usually like, usually more, you know, positive and, and enthusiastic. And so, I thought, well, maybe I just need to finish it. You know, like just go and finish the page and show an editor that. And um, and then I um, 
what happened was, I think in, um, I don't know what year it was, I want to say 2009, but it might be much later than that, I think. Um, I did the, uh, remember, I don't know if you guys remember Zuda, DC's online comic branch. They had a website called Zuda Comics. And I'm not familiar. No? Okay. Well, it, it didn't last too long. But the, the basic premise was every month uh, they have um, five, or I don't know, maybe it's ten different uh, competitors uh, bring in their, their web comics. They show eight pages of, you know, the first eight pages of their web comic. And then you get to vote on who gets to continue their webcomic. And oh, so cool. then Zuda would pay the winner to continue producing their webcomic. And so I did eight pages. I sent it in. And I got in on probably one of the last competitions they had before the, the website got shut down by DC. Um, and I was taking flyers around uh, you know, the, uh, the, the general area. And I lived in Leavenworth, Kansas, which is home of the federal pen. And uh, Lawrence, Kansas, which is home to KU, is uh, is about 45 minutes away. And so I drove out there. I dropped off some flyers to promote the website, and, or to not promote my uh, web comic, so people could vote for it. And uh, Jai Nitz, uh, who at the time probably best known for um, his uh, some of his image work, and then he also, um, which is now getting a lot of press now, he uh, created the new El Diablo. Um, and he had uh, done a miniseries at DC, and I. It was much easier to follow a lot of the local guys back then because the the Kansas City scene was a lot smaller, and uh, and I was familiar with his work. I really liked it a lot. Well, anyway, he saw the flyer at that shop, and then contacted me out of the blue and said, "Hey, would you like to do a pitch together?" And, uh, and I said, "Sure." What do you have in mind? And he sent me like a one page synopsis to Dream Thief. And I loved it. I thought it was it was uh, it was awesome, and it was right up my alley. And so we did a pitch, and then we uh, we sent it off, and we did not get picked up. <laughs> and uh, and then I uh, tried a few other things. I was still working the day job, and then Jai, probably about a year later, we kept in contact. And, and about a year later, he said, "You know, you want to give it another go? You know, do you want do you want to do a second pitch?" And I said, "Sure, let's do it." And we kind of reworked the the, uh, the concept a little bit. We did a second pitch, and then we uh, we uh, sent that out everywhere. We still didn't get any any responses. And um, and Jai said, you know, what? I'm going to try. He hadn't. We didn't send it out to uh, the Dark Horse sort of Vertigo because we thought those were like kind of maybe too much of a long shot. We were thinking we would get an image, possibly. But uh, we sent it off to the Dark Horse. And they responded pretty quickly and said, "Yeah, we were interested. We'd love to do it." And um, and that was my very first book. So that's that's basically how I how I got into comics. And then so I did oh. Dream Thief. Um, I met uh, Nick Lowe at Marvel, and after Dream Thief came out, we, I started talking with Nick, and he eventually uh, I think Jai and I did a an A plus X issue where we teamed up uh, Doctor Strange and Beast and. Nick liked that, and so then he offered me uh, Moon Knight with Brian Wood. And that was my first uh, my first Marvel ongoing, and that kind of catches you up to I think speed. Wow! So. I wanted to ask you, uh, outside of all the uh, the Moon Knight that you've done uh, and the characters in there, what is your uh, favorite character to draw outside of your current Moon Knight run? Oh. Um... 
good question. I think uh, <laughs> I probably I I liked drawing Doctor Strange a lot. I we actually got to Jai and I got to, to pick the characters uh, for our A plus X issue, and I and I pushed hard for for Doctor Strange, and uh, I think Jai wanted to, uh, to write Wolverine. I was like, well, everybody writes Wolverine, let's do Doctor Strange, and that was before you know Doctor Strange had an ongoing. You know, it was uh, everybody's kind of yeah. ignoring him at the time. And, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, it's just a kind of, I sort of think of him as like a younger Vincent Price. And I find that face interesting to draw. And I like his cape. His cape always is challenging. And I think, especially the, what do you call it? The, the hood part. No, it's not a hood. I don't know what you call it. A weird, uh, shaped thing that, you, you guys know what that's called on a cape? So like the, yeah, the thing behind his head. Cow, I don't know. Like yeah, not, yeah, like, yeah. Maybe call it a cow. Or a robe or something. I don't know. Yeah. Spawn has it too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That thing. I can't. I don't. I cannot think of. I know it's got a name, but anyway, it's I like popping your collar a little bit. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's popped collar. That's yeah. Um, well, yeah. Greg, um, that. Yeah. We wanted to ask you uh, where where can our uh, listeners uh, find you on uh, the webs or social media or anything like that. Uh, this is your spotlight to plug whatever you got. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I I uh, I removed myself from most social media. I do have an Instagram now, so you, and I do have a Tumblr, as, as you guys mentioned. Um, so you can find me on there. Uh, I think Tumblr is like Greg Smallwood dot Tumblr, or however their <laughs> their web addresses work. And then gotcha. um, and then on Instagram, I'm Savage Smallwood. And then if you type that in, it should pop up Greg Smallwood. Uh, and I post a lot. I post a lot of process stuff on, on Instagram and Tumblr, and um, and then in the comic shops, I've got um, obviously Moon Knight still coming out. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little less hands on with issues uh, six, seven, eight, and nine. Although I will have pages in I think almost all of those issues, and I've done the covers for them. But the we actually I don't know if, I don't know, yeah, I think they've talked about it online, but we're getting a a third arc. We're going to do a third arc for Moon Knight. And, oh, wow. uh, and cool. so I'm working on that right now. And, uh, and that'll actually, obviously the first arc doesn't really kind of conclude on with issue five. We're going to kind of keep going and take it a little bit further, but there's a very definite ending for this whole story. And okay. that'll come, I think in issue 14 is what we have. I didn't want to ask for any teasers, but is, is oh, I don't mind. No, I don't mind. Something we, something we can see maybe in issue six or seven that you can <laughs> give us a little reveal. Well, I can, I, I can tell you a little bit about the direction we're going. I don't, I don't mind at all. Um, basically, uh, Jeff had more story that he wanted to tell beyond the second arc, and but he was unsure if he wanted to to, to drag it out. Like he didn't want to feel like it was being dragged out. And I didn't know if that meant like you just wanted to write more Moon Knight, and so I actually told him I was like, well, what if we did like a mini series or like a graphic novel where we go back and we retell his origin, but we retell it in a way that kind of incorporates all these new ideas that we put in, like you know, Bird Beat Conchu and stuff like that, you know, that that we didn't have around, you know, in the, the late '70s, and also because Moon Knight's origin is a little. Um, vague, I think, you know, because he had that, it kind of a, sort of a, a weird origin in the issues of Werewolf by Night, um, and then they kind of tried to retcon it. And I thought, what if we just do kind of a clean version of it, like a, like a Batman Year One, where we kind of go through and, 
And Jeff really liked that idea and said, oh, well, that will work perfect for the third arc, actually. And so the third arc will actually be a combination of going back and, and sort of telling Mark's origin um, and with a little bit more of a personal flair than I think has been done before while also pushing the story forward. So we're going to conclude what's going on in New Egypt and with its different personalities and while at the same time exploring his past and seeing how basically everything led up to this point. And um, it's it's a story that, you know, my, my ultimate, you know, dream would be for this, you know, these 14 issues to be collected in a hardcover and for people to, you know, you know recommend it in the same way that, you know, when someone says, oh, I want to get started on Batman comics, where do I start? And they say, oh, well, Batman One or Dark Knight Returns. I want people to say, well, you know, where do I start with Moon Knight? I want them to, you know, be able to bring up this this run that we're doing, so that way they they have a they've got a great story about Moon Knight, but at the same time they also have a great introduction to the character, you know, complete with a little bit of an origin. And so that's the overall goal of of, of the of these three arcs. Oh, uh, that's wow. where we're. It's gonna be big. It's gonna be very. Very big, very epic, but at the same time, um, still very personal. You know, we're not we're not getting away from that. It's like a very personal story told against a very big and epic backdrop. Yeah. Well, Greg, uh, once again, uh, thank you for your time tonight, and uh, yeah. I hope uh, everybody goes and checks out Moon Knight. Uh, like I said, the first five issues are out now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you guys will probably have a trade coming along pretty soon. Yeah, don't ask me when. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, I'm sure that's on the that's on the company itself. So, yeah. uh, again, thank you for your time, and uh, hopefully, everybody gives a little look into your uh, to the social media that you put out there and picks up Moon Knight. Yeah, and thank you so much. Absolutely, thanks for having me, guys. All right, take, take care. Uh, take care. Bye. Bye. New. Pod World Order. Hey, this is Jerry with NewPodWorldOrder.com. Just want to let you know we got a new service available for anybody with a podcast who needs help polishing it up. We got podcast editing available through Squishy Nuts Studios. Rates are starting just at $30 an episode for the first two hours and $5 for every half hour thereafter. Want to hit up Marshall at Studios at gmail.com. Trust me, the guy will make your stuff sound good. Oh